Uh, you can open up in your Bibles to 1 John. We'll, we're almost through our series through the book of 1 John. Uh, we'll be in chapter 5 today of that little, uh, little letter. Uh, last week, if you were here, you were listening, uh, you heard Pastor Barry say that he was preaching on kind of the grand finale, like the grand finale of a fireworks show. Uh, that was last week. So you can think of this sermon as like when the grand finale is over and you're a little disappointed. That's kind of what this one is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, the, uh, but let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. Uh, and we will we'll start in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 5. Uh, and we will begin. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ. He is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray one more time. Father, we ask that you would come now. You would open your word to us. We want to hear from you. Uh, we want to, to, uh, to know, we want to be open to you. And that's so hard for us. So would you please, for each person here, for, my, for me, for each person listening on the live stream, would you open our hearts to whatever you have to say to us? We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. It's hard to know who to believe these days, uh, even on, on issues that are seemingly should be straightforward, uh, and, and even on really important issues, it's hard to know who to believe. Uh, we live in the digital age where everyone has a voice, everyone has a platform, uh, where fake news goes viral, uh, and it's, uh, you know, Photoshop has tricked even the most, you know, the most skeptical of us at one point or another. And, and I don't think it's going too far to say that there really is a, a crisis of authority in our culture uh, that, that really, you know, the, the very heart of which is the question, who can I trust? Who can I trust? And one way to answer this question, who can I trust, is testimony. It's testimony. The best evidence is, is testimony. Uh, in a courtroom, we call witnesses who give their testimony. Now, you know, witnesses can lie, they can be bought, they can be manipulated or, or malicious or misinformed, uh, but our legal system still relies on them. We call witnesses, they swear on the Bible to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and this is the gold standard for verifying information, right? Here's what happened. I was there. I saw it. John uses the word testimony in, in these verses eight different times, testimony or testify, a version of it. And, and so he's concerned with the truth. He's concerned with the truth. Uh, he himself is an eyewitness. 
right? He's one who gave his life, who became, uh, you know, his whole life was about giving witness, eyewitness testimony to what he saw and what he experienced in Jesus. And the testimony that he describes here, and this is not an exaggeration, uh, preachers are prone to exaggeration, but this is not an exaggeration. It's about the most important person and event in all of human history. Okay, three questions today uh, to explore this text. What is the testimony? What is it? Who testifies? And three, what if we believe it? What is it? Who testifies? What if we believe it? First, what is the testimony? Uh, Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. This is the substance of the testimony. This is the claim. This is the assertion. God, the creator and sustainer of all things, has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son, that is in Jesus Christ. Okay, what does this, what does this mean, eternal life? Um, John talks about eternal life a lot, and, and I've, I think I've only recently begun to, to understand what it means. I always thought it meant, uh, you know, life forever in heaven with God. That's what I always thought it meant, right? It's the life that starts when you die. And I, and I think it includes that, but it means so much more. I think it means so much more than that. For instance, look at the tense. Look at the, the tense of the verbs. He, it doesn't say he will give us. It says he has given us eternal life. Has given, it's past. It's something we already have if he's already given it to us, right? The next verse says the same. The one who has the son present, has life. So it can't just mean life in the future after we die, right? I have given you a million dollars is a lot different statement than I will give you a million dollars. If you're a Christian, what this means is you already have eternal life. You have it. Eternal life starts now, okay? But what is it? What, is it, what does that mean? That's sort of vague still. Jesus answers this directly in John's gospel. John 17, verse three. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus defines eternal life as knowing the Father and knowing him. Which again, doesn't start later, right? It's, it's not like Jesus doesn't say, you can know me after you die. And he says, you can know me now. You can begin to walk with me now. So this is what it means that we have eternal life. God has given us life, life that starts now, the kind of life that never stops, and it's the kind of life that's marked by our close friendship with God. And I think often we, we throw around kind of familiar churchy lingo, and it, and it masks uh, some of what, what the reality is, right? We just say eternal life, and we think everyone knows what it means, but do we really? Right, we read verse 11 a minute ago, but, but, and I doubt you got chills by it, but maybe, maybe you should have. God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his son. The other thing about eternal life we see from this verse is that it's in his son. It's in his son. The whole Bible won't stop harping on how important Jesus is to the history, to the present, and to the future of everything. He's the center. He's the logos. 
He is the light of the world. He is the life. The life is in Jesus. And many people object here uh, because they, it starts to sound exclusive, right? It's starting to sound exclusive, right? Eternal life in Jesus, that sounds like you're saying Jesus is the only way, right? Couldn't there be other paths to God, other ways, other, other doorways to life itself? And I, I agree, that is what it sounds like he's saying. In fact, if you keep reading the next verse, um, it, it, it seems to emphasize it even more, just that point. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You couldn't really be more explicit than that, except maybe, maybe John, uh, or maybe Jesus in John 14, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you struggle here, if you struggle with this the exclusivity of Jesus, I think the key question to work through is, is it true? Is it true? We, we exalt feelings, I think, in our culture. And while feelings are created by God and they're often helpful, they can also lead us down the wrong path. Haven't your feelings at some point led you down the wrong path before? So the question is, is it true that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son? Is the testimony true? If I'm driving down the road and there's a tree in the middle of it, and you're, you, you say to me, you know, you're with me, you say to me, hey, watch out for that tree. I have a few options. I can trust you, slow down, go around the tree, thus saving my car. Right? It's maybe saving our lives. You're welcome. Uh, I, can, I can distrust you. Right? Maybe you're a real prankster and I think you're just messing with me. Um, or maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm upset that you would bring up such an inconvenient subject like that, especially in the mood I'm in, Right? and I choose to disregard you. But in that case, I will hit the tree, right, and wreck my car. So the key question when I hear the testimony, there's a tree in the middle of the road, um, is not, how do I feel about that? How, how do I wish it would be? No, no, it's, is it true? Is there, in fact, a tree in the middle of the road? And just as there are physical realities like trees and roads and to disregard them has consequences, there are spiritual realities and to disregard them has consequences as well. So John is saying, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. And the question is, is it true? Is it true or not? Which brings us to the second question from the text today we're exploring second is, is who testifies to these things who testifies to these things verse 6 Jesus Christ he is the one who came by water and blood not by water only but by water and by blood and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth for there are three that testify the spirit the water and the blood and these three are in agreement we see in the scriptures that by Old Testament law, uh, by Jewish law, you had to, to verify a charge by three witnesses. You remember Jesus' trial, his mock, you know, where they railroaded him? Uh, they couldn't get the witnesses to agree. They paid these guys to do false witness. They couldn't even get him to agree. Um, so they had to accuse Jesus and have him, you know, confess himself. Uh, and so th what, what John is saying here is there are three witnesses and they agree. The spirit, the water, and the blood. 
Okay, now what does this mean, right? <laughs> the water and the blood. Jesus came by water and by blood. Although it isn't Im- immediately clear to us, this was probably clear to the original readers, right? They, it was a lingo they were familiar with, imagery they were familiar with from their previous experience with John. Um, commentators pretty much agree, though, that these are references to the baptism and the crucifixion of Jesus, right? The water, the baptism, the, the blood, the crucifixion. So Jesus' baptism, the water, was what started his ministry, right? His sacrificial death, the blood, was the climax of his ministry, John may have been confronting some sort of Gnostic heresy here uh, that said that, that, uh, that Jesus kind of became divine at his baptism and then before his crucifixion, his divinity left him, which would explain the little phrase, little clarifying phrase, not by water only. It's not just the baptism, but by the blood. It's also the crucifixion. And the point here is the whole incarnation in the public ministry of Jesus, bookended by the water and the blood, we have testimony to the fact that God has given us eternal life. In his baptism, Jesus went under the water. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. In the crucifixion, Jesus went under the wrath of God, nailed to a Roman cross. He bled out and died. He was buried, but the gates of death couldn't hold him, and he rose on the third day, just as he said he would. These two testify, the water and the blood. Do you hear them? Do you hear them? The Spirit also testifies, John says. The Spirit of truth um, the spirit Jesus sent to lead us into all truth. John 15, 26 says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus to us. He helps us to know and believe the truth about him. John says in verse 10, the one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. This is the inner witness, the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, some might say, um, especially more skeptical people, right? Well, that's convenient for Christians to say, isn't it? The Holy Spirit's inside me and helps me believe, helps me trust. They might say that that's not a good witness because that's pretty subjective, huh? And, And I understand that objection. I understand what they mean. Objective evidence, right, is what you can prove, Right, objective is what facts, what you can show. Uh, you know, subjective evidence is, is what you can't prove because it's your experience. You can't prove it to someone else. But think about this. In, in every relationship, we rely on, on both objective and subjective evidence. If you ask me how I know my wife loves me, um, I can point to objective evidence, objective things. She serves me in innumerable ways. She tells me she loves me. She, she, uh, she, stays, she has stayed with me through thick and thin. I get home, she's still there. It's amazing, right? There's objective evidence. There's also subjective evidence. Okay, and I, and I can and should point to these things. Deep down, I trust her. I know that she loves me. I, I feel that we're on the same team. Now, which of those is more important? Both, right? You, you should have, in fact, if there's a relationship where you just have one or the other, that would be pretty problematic. You need both. 
In the same way, we have with the Lord both objective and subjective evidence. Objectively, the water and the blood, the incarnation of the Son of God, his baptism, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, these are historical facts. Subjectively, the Holy Spirit inside us testifying to the truth of Jesus. And to clarify, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's not an objectively real person. He certainly is. Uh, but just that I, I can't see, you can't prove his work to you, you know, to me. I, you can't see his work in me in a way that I can prove it to you. It's our experience with him. Christian, haven't you felt the Lord's presence? Haven't you been stirred and moved by the truth? Haven't you wept with joy at his love for you? Haven't you been compelled to obedience by a force that was not your own will? Haven't haven't you been used in ways beyond your own power? That's the Holy Spirit inside you. That's the testimony that God has given you eternal life and that life is in his son. If you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, this might be a good time to ask you, have you felt God's presence before? Why do you think that is? Are you strangely attracted to Jesus even now? You don't know why, it's just he's intriguing. Continue on that path, I would say. Say maybe God is drawing you uh, in a way that you can't even understand or believe right now. I pray he is. The spirit, the water, and the blood, these three testify, these three agree. Can we trust them? Can we trust them? Look at verse nine. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he's given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. We accept human testimony all the time. We trust people who tell us things, right? You would believe almost anything if your three best friends in the world came and told you it was true. And if we we trust human testimony that's limited and fallible, how can we refuse to trust divine testimony, the testimony of God himself, Because ultimately, the testimony of the spirit, the water, and the blood is the testimony not of man, but of God. To reject this message, it says, is not to reject man, it's not to call men a liar, but to reject the testimony of God himself and to call God a liar. Some people, um, I think, want more evidence. Maybe you felt this way. Why doesn't God show up to me physically or show up to me in a dream or why doesn't he speak audibly to me like he used to in the Old Testament? Uh, Why does he seem to hide from from me? I remember laying in bed as a kid and just praying that God would turn my fan on without uh, me turning the switch on. Just, Just prove that you're real, right? But to ask these questions, I I think is to miss the incarnation. I think it's to misestimate the water and the blood. Because God didn't have to do anything 
But because of his huge, gracious, generous heart, he sent his son for us. Jesus, the eternal son of God, did what no human being could ever dream up. He became fully human while remaining fully God. Before the incarnation, God spoke to us at many times and in many ways, but in the incarnation, in the coming of the son of God, he spoke to us in a way that would seem blasphemous if it wasn't true. He lived a real human life. He lived with us. He worked a blue-collar job. He got hungry. He went to the bathroom. Right? He got closer than seems possible. Right? That would be blasphemous if it wasn't true. Jesus took on true humanity to show us who God is and what God is about. And it turns out that the God of the universe, the God who needs nothing from us, the God who, di who, who didn't need to create us or reveal himself to us, the God who has every right to, to crush us because of our rebellion, he was about loving us. He was about loving us. He had a dream in his heart. He had a plan. And that plan was to give us a gift, eternal life. It was to be gracious to us. It was a plan that cost him everything. The blood that ran down Calvary's cross was no ordinary blood. Christ, the mighty maker, died. And only his blood could make us clean. He was buried in a borrowed tomb that he is the shortest borrowed tomb ever, right? It wasn't borrowed for very long because he rose on the third day. He spoke and he ate with his disciples. He ascended to heaven and sent his spirit to lead his church. So do you see, how could we ask him to do more than he's already done? Lord, would you just make yourself clear? No, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the testimony of God himself. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? What happens if we do believe it? What happens if we do believe it? Three things. Three things. First is uh, verse 12. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John's been pushing and pushing and pushing at this, right? If you believe this, you will have assurance. You will know. And I hope that's what's welling up in you, Christian, is confidence. As we talk about this testimony that we have, this sure testimony, the water, the blood, and the spirit, I hope you're going, yes, I am a child of God. Yes, I know he loves me. Do you trust, however imperfectly, in Jesus then you have eternal life now. And hold on, because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And you can be glad about that. You can rejoice in that every day. And we should. So first is that we'll know we have eternal life. Number two, uh, what will happen if we do believe these things? Verse five, who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? If you believe you are a conqueror, you've conquered the world in Christ. And this means freedom. It means freedom for you. Rather than being ruled by the patterns and forces of this world, 
and of our culture, you're free now to submit to the, the God's gracious rule. You're dead to sin and alive to God. You have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. The life that you now live in your body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You will not be overcome by evil. You'll overcome evil with good. You do not have to love the world or the things of the world any longer. You do not have to be enslaved to people's opinions of you, to their evaluations of you. Your life as a child of God is marked by the eternal kind of life, a life of daily friendship and working alongside the king of the universe. And this is awesome, right? People think, and people think Christianity is boring. <laughs> you don't understand it. So second is that we'll walk in the freedom of a child of God. Number three, the third um, implication, what, will, what, what if we believe this? What will happen? What will change in our lives? It's verse 12. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. And how can we read this without thinking with compassion on those who don't know Jesus? How can we? If we believe the testimony of God if we have this testimony in ourselves, we will not sit on the sidelines while our coworker descends into hopeless depression or crippling anxiety or her marriage falls apart. We will not sit on the sidelines while millions of Muslim people all around the world live in darkness without the sun, without life. We will not sit on the sidelines while our, our society struggles to find a Christless justice that is no justice at all. We'll engage. We'll get in the fight. We'll follow our king who said to us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp, puts it under a basket, right? No, you light a lamp, you put it on a stand, it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. We love, we serve, we sacrifice, we proclaim because the testimony is true. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son and everyone needs to hear it. If we believe the testimony, we'll know we have eternal life. We'll walk in freedom and we'll make his name known here and to the ends of the earth. And may God do it in us. I'm gonna close with John's opening words from this letter. Um, these are not my frail and, and fallible words, but the true and inspired testimony of an eyewitness himself. This is 1 John 1, 1 through 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you 
so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us. We don't deserve it. (laughs) We don't deserve to know you. We don't deserve to be forgiven. We don't deserve to be part of your family. We prove that every week. So thank you. Thank you for the testimony you've given us and your son by your spirit. Thank you for the testimony of your word. I pray for anyone here who, who's on the fence, <laughs> who doesn't trust you, who doesn't know if this is a valid testimony. Would you pour your love into their hearts by your spirit right now? Would they continue to pursue and, and seek you because we know that no one who seeks you is thrown out. No one who, you don't throw out anyone who comes to you. And Lord, would you so work this message in us, this testimony in us as your people, as your church, that we just give ourselves more fully to you. We abandon our lives. We abandon our our agendas. We abandon our goals. We want you. We want your goals. We want your kingdom. So would your kingdom come and would your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.